This is the Faith Debate, a theological roundtable gab fest, a free-for-all forum with faith community leaders wrestling over the truth. In less than one half hour, learn more about what really matters than what most others learn in a week. The Faith Debate is on the World Wide Web at WFMD.com, keyword faith. Are you ready for the clash of ideas? Are you ready for the sound of freedom? Let's get ready to rumble in this corner, weighing in with a master of divinity from Reformed Theological Seminary, the Faith Debate Master of Ceremonies, (laughs) Troy Skinner. Today we're talking about it being not a race war, quote-unquote, but a spiritual war. This is part one of a, of a, of, of a two-part series that's going to focus on that particular theme, but it's actually part three of a four-part series talking more broadly about the black and white uh, divide that the politicians have forced us into and people of a particular worldview persuasion have forced us into. So we're going to wrestle with those sorts of things again this week and, and uh, one more time again next week. And who knows how many more times in the future we'll have to tackle these sorts of things. Hopefully not forever, right? But <laughs> certainly when Christ returns, we won't be tackling these questions anymore. They'll all be resolved perfectly at that point. Anyway, you can find uh, those previous shows I mentioned, the podcasts at WFMD.com. Go to the Audio Vault or go to the Faith Debate page. Uh, those are two places that you can find them pretty easily. You can also find links on Facebook, on the station's Facebook page, WFMD's Facebook page, also my personal Facebook page for that matter. I'm also on MeWe and Gab and Parlor, And also, uh, there's links to this sort of stuff uh, on the uh, WF, WFMD. I'm telling you, I did this last week, too. I got a little punchy. I don't know what's going on. A little blood sugar or something. <laughs> If you looked at me, you say, you're a little blood sugar. You look like you're a little too much blood sugar, if you ask me. Anyway, uh, householdoffaithinchrist.com is what I'm trying to get to. Householdoffaithinchrist.com is another uh, online resource for you to check out. Anyway, it's not a race war. It's a spiritual war, part one. And this week, whether we're going to spend a lot of time talking about it specifically or not, I'm not sure. We'll kind of see where the conversation goes. But one of the things that was on my heart to make clear, I've even titled this, this particular Facebook episode this way, that this is this is not a race war. As we talked about last week, it's wrong to think in those categories anyway. There's biologically speaking, there is one race, the human race. Uh, there might be ethnocentricities and different people groups and nationalities and cultural distinctives and things like that. And maybe we're at war over those things. There's certainly a culture war that's taking place. Uh, but really, ultimately, it's a spiritual war uh, that we are up against. And so I want us to uh, to keep that in mind. So I have a few things that I have shared on uh, Facebook in recent weeks that I'm going to use as fodder for, for helping to set the stage and providing some context for a conversation that we're going to have. Uh, just to get us back in the mood of talking about the issues that have been thrown at us in, in recent weeks. And those who pay attention to issues that are challenging the evangelical church, these aren't issues of recent weeks. These are issues of recent months or even recent years. It's been around for decades, and it's been gathering momentum. And there began to be a pretty significant shift and change about a year to 18 months ago. And it's really hit the fan uh, this year. Uh, And we're living through intense times that are going to define the future trajectory 
of the remnant church, in my opinion. So these aren't small issues. These are big issues. And yet there's all these related ancillary issues that are part of the conversation. So I'm just going to throw some of these things out there for what they're worth. It's kind of a potpourri of thoughts on various aspects of what things are talking about. <clears throat> so I'm going to begin with, uh, on Facebook, I had an exchange with someone who holds to a progressive view of the world. And during part of our exchange, he wrote, I took note, he's talking to me, I took note of your reference to the quote-unquote evil we witnessed in the killing of George Floyd, because so many white and conservative Christians have run away from this issue. They have lots of posts about riots, unrest, and damage, but almost none about his death or the many victims who preceded him without receiving justice. These posts tell me pretty clearly what's more important to them. It's incredibly disappointing to see a discernible group of people who think his death was not worth posting about or commenting on. Do I think you or other white conservative Christians are less uh, likely to oppose murder? No, absolutely not. However, are you more likely to try to justify the actions of a white police officer killing an unarmed black man? Are you less likely to recognize the long-standing systemic problems that have led to these killings? Are you less outraged when there is no accountability for officers involved in these killings? Are you as concerned about insisting on accountability in these cases? Perhaps you could tell me. And so part of our conversation this evening maybe will help answer him and people like him what we would tell them in response. And I don't want to jump right into the conversation just yet. So let me share at least one more thing uh, from social media world, uh, maybe a couple more, and then we'll start a conversation. I wrote this um, a week or two ago. I don't own a Confederate flag. Oh, by the way, I want to start with, if, if you know, I think it's pronounced as Kente, the Kente scarf. Kente. I think it has the Kente scarf. This is uh, this made the news a few weeks ago when uh, leaders of the uh, within the Democratic Caucus of Congress wore these colorful scarves and then they they, they took a kneeling posture and um, critics said it was you know political photo op. Uh, defenders of the action said that they were demonstrating respect for uh, specifically African heritage, uh, the African heritage of African Americans, blacks so identify as African American, particularly Western Africa. Uh, anyway, so that's what the Kente scarf is, if you remember that in the news. So I wrote, I don't own a Confederate flag. Never have owned one. Don't intend to own one. I don't own a Kente scarf. Never have owned one. Don't intend to own one. I didn't grow up in the southern USA and have no emotional feeling about Confederate flags either way. I didn't grow up in Western Africa and have no emotional feeling about Kente scarves either way. As an intellectual curiosity, how is it that one piece of fabric is counted offensive, especially when used as a political statement, and the other piece of fabric is counted appropriate, especially when used as a political statement? I understand that Confederate flags were historically flown by people involved in the slave trade. I also understand that many recognize it as a modern symbol of pride in the culture of the southern United States and pride over defending states' rights. I understand the Kente scarves were historically worn by people involved in the slave trade. 
I also understand that many recognize it as a modern symbol of pride in the culture of Western Africa and pride over ties to this region that exists for some African Americans. I'm not suggesting that either is offensive, nor am I suggesting that either is appropriate. I'm merely grappling with why they're not viewed the same way. If consistent, then both would be offensive or both would be appropriate. And P.S., trust me, I do know that consistency does not matter a lick in our new postmodern world. However, my ultimate citizenship is in a kingdom not of this world. Hence, I'm not a postmodernist. And uh, one more, because this has been talked about a lot, and with the ever cl close, uh, ever nearing uh, hope for start to the NFL season, Colin Kaepernick's name comes up a lot. And a story that I think is related to the Colin Kaepernick situation, at least in the sports world, let's say the sports world situation, might not be as familiar to you. About a month or so ago, uh, Grant Napier, I don't know if you know the name Grant Napier, Grant Napier uh, up until recently was the radio play-by-play -play voice for the Sacramento Kings, an NBA team, and he was also a call-in radio show host on a sports talk radio station in Sacramento. So he's a talk show host on a radio station and also employed by an NBA team to do their broadcasts. Okay, so that's going to be the context when I bring this up. And in case you're wondering, I'll have to paint the picture a little bit. He received, he was tweeted at. I'm not on Twitter, but I guess that's how it works. Somebody can, can specifically draw your attention by sending a tweet and tagging you in it or something. And somebody, a former NBA player, tweeted at Grant Napier and said, hey, what's your take on the whole BLM movement? Now, he's a sports guy, and so he's trained up in the idea of having a take, having a perspective, and sharing that perspective in a public forum. That's what he does for a living. And so it's not unusual if somebody would tweet out and say, hey, what's your perspective on this particular issue? And so Grant tweeted back in response, very friendly, saying, again, it's a former NBA player, somebody that used to play for Sacramento Kings, and he knew him. I guess they were on friendly terms once upon a time. And he starts out his tweet back with, hey, it's great to hear from me. It's been a long time. I thought you'd forgotten about me. Yuck, yuck, yuck. And then he says, on that whole BLM thing, you know what? All lives matter. Every single one. Grant Napier was fired. The radio station fired him. The NBA team fired him. He lost both of his jobs for affirming on Twitter that all lives matter. Now, you could make an argument that Grant was a little tone deaf to the situation and maybe he should have thought about a more savvy way to convey his thoughts. That's neither here nor there. The facts are, he said all lives matter, every single one, and because he said that, he was fired. So that's the context. And so I was in a dialogue with people on social media, and they were talking about the Colin Kaepernick situation and what was done to him was so wrong, and you can't believe it, and blah, blah, blah. And so this is a portion, this was a longer conversation thread. This is just a, a, a portion, of, an important chunk of that conversation. I wrote, my thoughts are centered on pursuit of the appropriate biblical response for faithful Christians regarding the large-scale issues. So I'm tentative to enter a situation where it could appear that I'm looking to relitigate the Colin Kaepernick story. But because you've begun to center on Cap's individual example, it's likely important that I address it. Again, my motivation is to identify the path forward that most glorifies Christ. So my hope is that you and anyone else reading this will hear my heart. 
By the way, I guess I shouldn't assume that everybody who's listening to this is familiar with the NFL and their players. Colin Kaepernick was an NFL quarterback, played a big chunk of his career with the San Francisco 49ers. He was in a Super Bowl as the starting quarterback for the 49ers. Had a really good start to his career, struggled a little bit later on after a few years. Um, and then he got very interested in his family history and lineage and very committed to what he sees as inappropriate actions by uh, the government and government officials represented by police officers towards people that look like him and he protested and he chose to protest and draw attention to this thing that he was feeling passionate about by kneeling during the national anthem before the start of NFL football games. So. I'm assuming most people are familiar with that, but I don't want to take anything for uh, for granted. Anyway, he continued to be in the NFL that year, but then he was a free agent the following year. By the way, for what it's worth, <laughs> he had an opportunity to uh, stay with the 49ers and exercise an extension on his contract. It was a player's, as I recall, it was a player's choice on the extension. It was up to him. Do I want to exercise my option to stay with the 49ers for another two or three years? Or do I want to not exercise that option and put myself on the open market as a free agent? So he chose to put himself on the open market as a free agent at the conclusion of the upcoming season. It was during that season that all the controversy happened. And he didn't play well the season before, and he didn't play all that well the season of all the controversy. And so he goes out there as a free agent, and he couldn't get a job. And here we are a few years later, and he still does not have an NFL job, although he's making quite a bit of money as a spokesperson and a face in the marketing for Nike sports apparel. <clears throat> so anyway, picking back up. Before addressing what happened in any situation, it can be helpful to examine the context leading to and surrounding it. So here's some relevant context. The NFL made a marketing decision, a marketing decision years ago to wrap itself in the American flag and align itself with images of the American military. This always felt a bit too jingoistic for me, but there's no denying the effectiveness of the marketing effort over the years. Part of this practice included jet flyovers, televised singing of the national anthem, and demonstrating a particular decorum regarding the American flag. To help protect this carefully crafted image, the NFL instituted rules governing the behavior of players and coaches. Right or wrong, this is what they did, and these were the rules individuals were expected to follow or they faced consequences. I'm not a fan ever of sports teams regulating freedom of speech in this or any way, and I have consistently and publicly maintained this stance over the years. I disagreed with the rules, and apparently so did Colin Kaepernick. He decided it was worth facing the consequences of challenging these rules, and by the strength of his convictions, he pressed forward. In the end, he paid the price with his team and with the league office. He also became viewed as a high-profile media distraction if he signed with another team. Given the spotty performance of his play during the final couple of seasons, none of the general managers of any of the NFL teams decided to bring this potential distraction to their teams. This sort of fear is also what made many teams reticent to sign Tim Tebow. These circumstances were unfair to the quarterbacks, but it can make logical sense when looked at from a particular point of view. 
Tebow went on to try his hand at baseball, where he still seeks a platform for take, talking about what's important to him. Cap went on to Nike, where he still seeks a platform for talking about what's important to him. There are intriguing commonalities in the stories of these men, as well as some stark differences. Tim Tebow causes a ruckus for advocating very publicly for the gospel. Grant Napier, the sportscaster I mentioned, he got into trouble for advocating publicly that every single life matters. Colin Kaepernick advocated very publicly for protections from inappropriate police actions for black communities. These are all things that all Christians can applaud, at least at some level, and should be advocating themselves, at least at some level. It's unfortunate that Colin chose to advocate in a way that many were able to interpret, fairly or not, differently. It's unfortunate that Colin chose to advocate in a way that many were able to interpret differently, and instead of speaking for something good, he was viewed by some as speaking against against something good. I said at the time, and so this is not revisionist history on my part, that Mr. Kaepernick would have advanced his cause more widely and more quickly if he had chosen another means to draw attention to his cause. In today's televised and social media world, visuals are important. Kneeling during the anthem while the flag waved in the background was a bad visual. This opened him up to criticism that he didn't need to take. His intended message, if indeed was his intended message, got swallowed up. It was sad to see. Anyway, I've written too much already, so I will wrap up with just a couple additional thoughts. Colin Kaepernick, he advocated in a way that many saw not as advocacy, but as a protest against America itself. Some Christians think America is worthy of protesting. Some Christians think America is worthy of honoring. So Christians can and do disagree about this. Regardless of who is right and who is wrong, it is noteworthy that Colin knew he was risking sanction for violating rules. If he had any reason to be initially unsure about this, he was given warnings to stop violating the rules. And so he knew he'd get in trouble, and he did it anyway. This is not meant as a criticism necessarily. Our Lord and Savior knew he'd get in trouble with the worldly authorities too. But he did it anyway because he had a higher calling. Compare this to Grant Napier, the sportscaster. He wasn't protesting anything but merely advocating for recognizing the value of each individual life. No Christian can disagree with this sentiment. Further, Grant had no idea that he would be violating any rules for publicly valuing everyone's life. In fairness, why should he have? It's preposterous that such a rule would ever exist from a biblical viewpoint, and yet such a rule has proven to exist. But Mr. Napier was given no warning about consequences for violating it. He sent one tweet so that everyone who follows him on Twitter knows that he values each of their lives. The result is that he got fired from both of his jobs. This despite not intending to break any rules. If Grant was wronged, the Christian response can't be to say, well, that's okay, because Colin Kaepernick was wronged too. Christians are called to stand for justice in each individual case. If our Messiah believes that every human life is valuable, then Grant Napier was treated unjustly. 
As Christians, I hope we can at least agree about that and support anyone who has moved to draw attention to the biblical truth that all people have value. God bless you. May God's face shine upon you. And I'm going to share one more thing. I'm talking a lot and sharing here, but but then we'll have a chance to just have open conversation about a bunch of stuff. So this, I think we alluded to it last week, but we didn't get into depth about it. Um, The creator of VeggieTales put out a video. His name is Phil Vischer. And he put out a video a few weeks back, a 17-minute video, talking about the whole Black Lives Matter thing. And so this was a post in response to that. If you like to talk to tomatoes, if a squash can make you smile, if you like to waltz with potatoes up and down the produce aisle, then you've probably seen the 17-minute video posted in mid-June by the creator of VeggieTales. Phil Vischer's masterfully crafted presentation of his political views has been making the rounds in social media, especially among professing Christians. As a result, I've had several in-person and online conversations about Phil's words. And now I'm finally offering my first post about it. I probably should have posted sooner. One can only wonder why such an army of professing Christians have offered up this video as something delicious for other Christians to gobble up. Phil does not quote scripture once. He does not point to the gospel even one time. He does not utter the name of Jesus at all, nor does he even use the more generic and politically correct term God. Not once. Instead, Phil Vischer rattles off a long series of political talking points from a progressive point of view, as it turns out. And the worldview presented is rooted or influenced by, or at least accidentally borrowing from, critical race theory, which is not a biblical philosophy. Mm -hmm. In fact, critical race theory is a hindrance to the advance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What exactly is supposed to be the edifying message for Christians in this video? The concluding point made by Mr. Vischer is that people should care about the devastating effects of sin. It took 17 minutes of selective history nuggets, fast-talking statistics, and highly effective marketing language to tell Christians to care about sin. Any true Christ follower already cares, even before hearing Phil's words. And so the viewer might be excused at feeling a little confused and perhaps even short-changed for having wasted 17 minutes of their life. Some, administering a generous dose of benefit of the doubt, suggests that Phil's goal is to educate evangelicals who, if the broad caricatures are to be believed, are ignorant of, or at least in denial about, the history and the lasting effects of what critical race theorists call systemic racism. It's all rooted in white supremacy, don't you know? But hey, this is the creator of the VeggieTales cartoons and the voice of Bob the Tomato. Those cartoons are marketed to Christian families, so he absolutely must be a trustworthy voice to evangelicals and followers of Christ everywhere, right? Well, actually, exactly because of Phil Vischer's work on VeggieTales, he cannot be a trustworthy voice for advancing the biblical gospel. Many Christian kids have seen all the videos. Many Christian parents have laughed alongside their children while imbibing most of the videos themselves. These animated short stories are examples of good, clean fun, highlighting messages of moral behavior. This is good, particularly when compared to most of what passes for children's entertainment these days. However, 
The VeggieTales universe is a kind-hearted, moralistic universe. It is not a Christ-exalting, Christ-centered universe. Let the body of Christ never forget, moralism is not the biblical message. The gospel is the biblical message. Please don't get me wrong. I like VeggieTales. I like Phil Vischer. However, the cartoons do not represent Christ the way that most seem to think. And neither does Phil. His 17-minute political video is well-crafted and advocates for his point of view very effectively. Yet, as a committed Bible student who is humbled by the good news, the, Bible, uh, the video doesn't resonate with me because he's not talking to me. At best, he's talking at me which is about all that critical race theory allows. I'm sure Phil me means well, and I know without doubt that you do too if you're one of the thousands who have shared the video with others. But Phil's video offers no solution because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the solution. And Phil's video does not offer him. If you have the time and want to take a deep dive into the variety of errors and biases evidenced in Phil Vischer's 17-minute video, then I highly commend to you another video presented by a man who clearly spent lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of time digging into the research behind Phil Vischer's comments. And then I linked to a blog by John Harris called Conversations That Matter. And I would encourage you to check out that link, by the way. John Harris does a lot of really good deep dive research stuff. He goes for primary sources and then shares what he finds. And it's, it's not hugely entertaining as far as he's not joking and, you know, dazzling with production value and that sorts of things, but it, it's meaty. It's thoughtful. It's intelligent. It's helpful. So you can check out conversations that matter. Uh, that's done by John Harris. You can just go on a search engine and find him conversations that matter john harris he also has a youtube channel by that same name so you'll find him pretty easily i think and you can find me pretty easily just go to wfmd.com find the faith abate page follow me on facebook i'm also personally on gab and MeWe and parlor and i've got a website too household of faith in christ.com household of faith in christ.com so you can find more information there Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back again next week, same time, 167 and a half hours from right about now. We'll get started. Till then, God bless.